And now another episode of Mind Escape with Michael and Maurice. Take it away, Michael. All right, folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 50 today, uh, DMT and Dreaming Jaguars. Um, you can check us out at MikeandMauriceMindEscape.com and Patreon.com slash MikeandMaurice. Uh, also, you can check out our guest Paul and Justin's page, Dreaming Jaguars, on YouTube. What's going on, Paul? What's going on, uh, Justin? Good night. Yeah, yeah, very good. Thank We're you. We're all good, buddy. We're all good. Uh, so, I actually the first time I saw your clip, your first episode, um, uh, Dick Khan had posted it on his uh, Instagram page. I'm like, what is this? It was kind of interesting. I uh, it was almost like a had like a real documentary or film kind of a approach to it. W- what was your inspiration uh, when starting that? Uh, okay, so I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm the filmmaker. Um, I'm a photographer, a landscape photographer by trade. Um, so I got into filmmaking a couple of years ago, I suppose. We, a friend and I set a company up taking people out to Iceland on photography workshops. Um, and we bought a drone and then we got picked up by a guy on, on LinkedIn. We did some work for BBC Earth. We've been, we travelled, you know, quite extensively doing the work we do. Uh, but obviously Justin and I go back, you know, for 20 odd years and this, um, the psychedelics is what we've been into as a, from a personal growth perspective. Um, and the films, the filmmaking stuff that I do for, for clients, etc., is is great, but I wanted to do something that we could do that would sort of tell the story of, of what we're trying to do and, and get the, get our feelings across about what we do and how, and, and sort of almost, try and um you know to take away the 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 demonizing of this topic and it seems to be pushing more and more into the mainstream and good things are coming out of the you know the research that's being done with these substances for treating mental health and ptsd and obviously the personal growth side of it and just the out the you know the outright craziness of it all Uh, we wanted to sort of say that you know, to get across that we're just normal guys. I mean, I've got building company as well. Justin's in construction. We've got wives and kids. Um, and we just wanted to get across that these things are good for the soul, um, aside from the potential going forward, you know, for humanity as to possibly what we could be getting into. Um, we wanted to do something that sort of, you know, tells that story, really. That's why. Also, the, the synchronicity of our lives right now, I mean, for me especially, I've just um, sold shares in a business and to go forward with what Paul and I wanted to do would have probably had an effect on my business career. Now I'm not kind of in that situation anymore. It puts me in a place now where we can post this stuff um, and should it come to light to people, or, you know, who we know around or, you know, if it comes to anyone who used to know within the business, it doesn't matter anymore because I'm not in that business world. People can't judge me on it because there is a lot of judgment around this stuff and misunderstanding. Um, sure. Generally, aren't open to actually, you know, learning about it before they make a judgment on it. And I think from Paul and I's perspective, with his skills in the filmmaking and the stuff, you know, the cinematography that we could do or Paul could do around that, and I'm trying to learn that as we go, and with our slightly mad and wacky take on what we do and what we talk about we thought it would make it would bring it together you know like Paul said two normal guys 
um, not not um, yeah, you, not not using it recreationally, not using it constantly over the fifteen years. You know, it's not been a weekly or monthly yeah, thing that we've yeah, done. It's yeah. had times when there's been years without us using it. Um, but still, the insight and stuff that we've got from it gives us this different perspective, which is what we essentially want to try and get across. That's yeah. right, and also as well, you know, the the you. Know, you, when you want to try and do something and you want to make it successful, you've got to look for a new angle. Um, and, and what we've, and I watch extensively, all of the top guys that talk about psychedelics on YouTube. Um, and there aren't any, you know, there aren't any UK lads with a sort of a bit more of a uh, down to a, not down to earth, that's the wrong word. Um, we're not, we're not academics. We're not scientists. We're not philosophy graduates. We're just two normal guys that have had, extensive experience in this field um, and we're trying to we, we thought it would be cool to bring a just like, a, a, a normal guy aspect to it and try and make it a bit fun and like i say you know there's not there's not really anything like this coming out of the uk with the sort of cinematography that we're trying to put to it and it's it's pretty on the eye it's entertaining and at the same time we're trying to get that message across that these things are potentially good yeah you guys bring up a good point, though, talking about how you know you had to sell shares of your business, or there's there's an aspect of this that's a cult or underground because it is such a taboo uh, subject. I mean, for me, I've talked about my past. I mean, I don't really use stuff anymore. Um, but when I you know was going through, I had bad OCD. I would I've used some visionary plant medicine to help, which I was familiar with. High school and college, we did a lot of stuff and experimented with a lot of stuff and. Um, but it's even like talking about that, like something that dramatically helped improve my life. It's almost like, I don't care. You know, I don't give a fuck, whatever I'm going to say, what, whatever I feel, you know, in terms of our podcast and this is just truth, you know, there's no bullshit here. So, um, I'm not afraid to talk about it, but there, when we were getting into this, that is something I thought about. I'm like, should I be saying this? But then I'm like, fuck it. It helped me. I'm a better person because of it. Um, and, uh, it yeah, helped. And the more people that come out, you know, I think the times are changing. Pot's becoming legal. My, uh, mushrooms are being studied to help with, uh, you know, depression and stuff. So yeah, we'll see what happens in the next couple of years. But yeah, no, it takes people like us to, you know, say like, I mean, I, I appreciate what you guys are doing. You know, a couple of guys, normal dudes going out there, you know, just saying, Hey, this isn't, this isn't you know, the, the, the worst stuff ever. Actually, it's quite the contrary. It, is good for yeah. you or it can help you if done yeah. in the correct you know settings or whatever yeah and, and the right thing you know you got it's not for everybody that's that's for sure it's not for everybody you know there are people out there that these experiences could quite possibly damage them considerably but at the same time and even those people i mean taken in the right with, with the right guidance and the right run-up to that experience then i don't maybe there isn't anybody that it couldn't help but yeah, you wouldn't just go, there you go, mate, have a go on that, and, and you're going to be fine. <laughs> well, yeah. just, Justin was saying about synchronicities. I think that plays a huge part of it, too. There's like a mystical side yeah. of these things that most people we've interviewed now, I don't know how many, 10, 15 different people were talking about this kind of stuff um, on this podcast, and we know a lot of people in real life, too. But the weird thing is, is everybody talks about either learning something, these entities that they see under DMT ayahuasca, um, or just some sort of like 
breadcrumbs of, of knowledge, you know, like there's always a story involved with that. It's never just recreational. I mean, I, I know people do use it recreationally, but it seems like even DMT, it's so powerful, so potent that um, it's not something to be fucked with. It's something that should yeah. be used, you know. Oh, definitely. Yeah, like bring a respect to it, you know. Yeah, definitely got to have the right intent when you're going in on it. And, and secondly, I mean, I've not got, watched a lot of these, and I'm assuming they're younger guys who do it as a recreational thing and then just want to talk about it. Um, for Paul and I, it's never going to be a recreational thing. You can, from our personality, with the normal day-to-day -day life, we found that when there's been times when it's gone on a little bit too long, you know, it generally then peters away on its own because... Uh, normal normal reality starts to become a bit jaded. It becomes a little bit um, lucid, if you like, and, you know, we'll discuss that. And for some reason, um, the times that we come to use it, we'll literally just sit there and talk about it rather than actually do it. Um, and I, I suppose for us, it's there's always a, I want to say, mature approach to how we're we're using this stuff and, and generally over the last 12, 15 years, I've found that the times that we have used it, and I think I've mentioned this before, there have been um, lessons or uh, epiphanies that have come off the back end of using it about stuff that we may or may not have been aware of what's going on in our life and it gives a bit of understanding and comfort from that. So I don't know whether that's just a breakdown of the self and an ability then to understand and take a look at the bigger picture or whether it's actually, you know, this stuff is relaying the information because the information I find that went after a session isn't instant. It takes a week or two to analyse and think about what it was you were perceiving and what information was coming across. But getting back into the, the people thing, um, I've never been very vocal about what I've done. Obviously, the position I was in, it wasn't a good thing to go around talking about this, but Paul's always been quite open to it. And what's made me laugh is, is Paul's attitude towards it and his general um, persona will, will bring people in and people will then open up to him. So there's been a couple of people that you would have never imagined doing this, and I'm not going to mention any names, and I know Paul won't, but then he's come and told me about these guys and, and I'm like, wow, you know, you wouldn't have expected that someone in that position would be that open with you, Paul, and tell you about it. And from the back end of that, we have discovered that there are like ayahuasca sessions that go on in this yeah. country. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is something that we've considered. But um, well, yeah, Also, just going back to the, you know, the, 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 um, the recreational side of it, I think that, I don't think that it, it, if if someone has had a proper breakthrough dose of DMT, there's no way that they're going to go. Wow, that was amazing! I want to do that again right now. You know, that's just not going to happen. So, the, so the recreational side of it, probably doing lighter doses, and yeah, you can do that recreationally, but that's not where the 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 knowledge and the further flung reaches of this sort of topic are that it, they, that lies in the big doses or the larger doses so yeah i mean i say i would find I, I would i would put my mortgage on it that no one is going to go in for a second go after a breakthrough dose and go oh, i want to do that every week it's just not going to happen because you know you're just going to scare the life out of you to be fair and if you're not used to it you're not you don't know what you're getting yourself into 
it, and it can change it can change it does change people's lives and belief systems you know Definitely. after one breakthrough dose it's like it's it's almost um well it can be enough for some people. yeah it's, it's once is enough and i you know i've 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 given it to people before who, who i've who who have wanted to do it and have, and have done the research i've made them do the research but they've gone into it once and that's it they're not doing it again but they are sort of confident and you know aware that as far as they're concerned there's more to this there's infinitely more to this reality than there was before they did that had that experience so yeah it's, it's not recreational and i don't think like i said it definitely wouldn't be recreational you know going after a big after a big dose it's not not gonna be done so you you brought up a, a a point. You said there's people doing ayahuasca ceremonies there. We were talking about it. it seems like, um, and I don't know, maybe it's just the kind of group of people that I've been talking to and uh, community online and stuff. But it seems like there's a lot of people from England and Britain and stuff that are doing this. Like you know, we interviewed Dick Khan, DMT, and Maya Call Mind. You know, R and Voot, uh, Spirit yeah. Sky. Um, yeah. Paul, our buddy Paul, that was just on. Uh, it seems oh. like the, 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 it seems like there's something going on um, over the you know by you guys across the pond. Yeah, across the pond. That sorry, Mike. Sorry, carry on. No, no, you're good. You're good. Uh, no, I'm just saying. Do you, do, can you put your finger on something specifically, or is it just something that's happening there? I think. I think. I mean. I mean, you know, these these sort of topics are now being published on the front page of of, of high profile magazines. They're talking about the research that's going on at Johns Hopkins, John Hopkins, and can magic mushrooms cure PTSD and, and all this sort of stuff. It's coming to the forefront of mainstream media, even if it's a bit tentatively. Um, but I think just in general, there, there seems to be like an underlying, you know, what it's like with 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 populations or, or um, populations as a whole, there seems something seems to gather momentum, and then people are just sort of drawn towards these things, maybe for the betterment of 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 people's lives in an unknown way, like a, you know, a collective consciousness. Something something is happening that sort of moves people in a particular direction. This at the moment seems to be the buzzword, and it seems to be growing almost exponentially, uh, and people that that five or ten years ago wouldn't have even walked in the circles with you know as other people that um that have had these experiences the word is spreading and people are curious we're, we're curious human beings are curious by nature and yeah it's definitely growing in popularity and, and certainly i mean i've now bumped into people through my other business and we've and i've, I've one particular guy uh, one client of mine is a great lad We've done a lot of work for him. We, I went to his house. I stood in his office. We sorted out payment for the work that we'd done. And I noticed um, a book by um, Daniel Pinchbeck that was propping up his iMac. It was breaking open the head. When I looked at the other books that he was using to prop this iMac up, there was the Spirit Molecule. There was Terence McKenna's uh, Invisible Landscapes. And I was like, ah, so straight away, he and I would never have made that correlation a few years ago. And, and we just straight away, bang, we were into the conversation and he'd been to Peru, he'd done various different um, ceremonies in the UK and he opened me up then to, uh, connected me to people that run ceremonies in the UK and it's just like, yeah, it seems to be growing, you know, very quickly. Um, Dennis McKenna obviously brings, 
talks a good uh, point when he says that maybe the, the planet itself is reaching out to us to try and heal what the damage that we've done. You know, it's almost like it was in the jungle for so long um, and now it's moving out to, to the States and across Europe and, and everybody's getting this information. Maybe it's the, the planet's I think there's attempt a, to help. There's another key thing there and I'm not aware or haven't, I wouldn't know about the other people you've spoken to, especially from England, but it, taking it away from the demonization thing as well, it's not kind of like a street drug. So it's not something that I believe that you can go and buy from your local drug dealer. Right, They're yeah. generally more obsessed or dealing with the, the other kind of drugs. And this is something that is, if you want to do it, you have to explore it. You have to find out your own yeah, means and methods and put a lot of work in to be able to. And maybe because that information is open now and, and available for people to expand their knowledge around that stuff in that way. Yeah, so if you took a businessman who wanted to expand or have a look at this stuff, he wouldn't have to actually go to a local drug dealer who's probably not going to know or trust to go and find this stuff. It's, it's, it's done in a completely different way. So I think from that angle as well, um, it's kind of moving it away from that whole genre, that whole... The dark side. The dark yeah, side, the, which, the is more, yeah. which is more open to other people getting involved in it. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think that's too why I think pot's becoming legal too. In a huge part, you're taking that other element. I mean, a lot of weed dealers weren't violent in any way or dark in any way, but it just seems like now everybody has access to it. There is no real underbelly. Yeah. Uh, but um, how did you guys come up with the name uh, Dreaming Jaguars and does what, what kind of significance does that have? Dreaming Jaguars. So, that's, well, that's we, we yeah, so, so during our sessions, um, we would put, uh, not all the time, but sometimes we would put YouTube videos on, we would get sort of shamanic music um, and, and have that sort of vibe going on whilst the sessions were underway. Um, and there was a, a, there's a shamanic YouTube channel or um, artist possibly, which is uh, Jaguar Dreaming. And obviously, we like the significant, you know, the significance, the significance of the Jaguar. Yeah, the branding of it was quite cool. We thought, you know, it's quite an attractive. It's it's a, it's a, a a name that that you don't sort of forget. Um, so we just reversed it and dreaming Jaguars. Well, I think we start when we were talking about it. When we used to watch it, it had that kind of an, an attachment. And when we before we really thought about um, the YouTube stuff and the filming. You know, we used to name our sessions. They, they had many names, didn't they? And the places that we create. So we, have, I've got a place in my garage that we created, a, like a room that we could see and it was peaceful. And, and they used to come up. We used to come up with nicknames for these places. And I think somewhere along the line, the, the Jaguar was dreaming became into our into our vocabulary. So when we were looking um, at starting the YouTube channel, we were discussing the YouTube channel and then the name kind of just fell into place. It wasn't even like a, a choice or a decision. It just seemed to fit but for also, us. As you saw, I suppose, as you, as you start to pick at the, the whys and what fors, and obviously we've, you know, we, we, we put the name down, we're like, okay, that's cool. And then you start to think, well, actually, sort of the relevance of it 
you know, Justin always likens me when he comes out of a, a DMT session and sort of maybe looks across at me for a bit of grounding. He always says, I've got like a cat mask on my face. And obviously the Jaguar has massive significance to the ayahuasca experience and to the, to the you know, to the natives, um, indigenous folks of, of South America, the Jaguar is a spirit animal, dreaming Jaguars, and we're sort of dreaming about the future of this topic. And it all just fitted together quite nicely really have you seen the videos with the jaguars actually tripping it seems yeah. like on dmt uh um, yeah, chewing the leaves and that's the first thing i thought when i saw your name of your channel i'm like these guys are fucking doing something with these jaguars <laughs> but uh um but yeah i think it's interesting um you're i thought i thought it was actually a great name for a channel especially i don't know it just seemed to fit with your movies and the, yeah. the approach that you were taking but um yeah, I don't know. That is the first thing I thought, you know, the the jaguar. And then it's like when jaguars eat that and they're all high on DMT, are they are they dreaming about human beings? You know, because I actually I've seen a couple trip reports where people talk about seeing jaguars yeah. um, within the DMT realm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And especially I think the ayahuasca experience is a, there's a lot of uh, jaguar involvement and it's meant to be a sort of symbol, symbol of strength and, and, you know, power and sort of the ruler of the jungle type affair. Um, so yeah, it was a cool there's name. A, there's That's, a lot of that symbolism in the Mayan and Inca, Inca stuff. Yeah. So, um, yes. I think there's a, and I've kind of always, I've got a big tattoo which relates to some Mayan stuff and, it kind of like that works, whole just worked and, and actually right at the start when we first started using the compound the actual south american mayan inca type visuals that we used to get were really and i don't know if it was because of the the material we were using back then uh, i think just it's a difficult one isn't it with the the experience changes over time the more you um the more experiences you have the experience to start with is not the experience that we have now, but it, it, it's it is obviously it's the same, but it, it's the the in, the introduction to the experience. So as the experience begins, the emphasis used to be very much on South American and Aztec, Mayan, Incan uh, symbolism and hieroglyphs, and you know um, that sort of vibe to it. Um, colors and the colors are very earthy, and oranges and golds and reds. But as we've sort of progressed into it, I'm, I'm guessing whether or not, you know, t uh, changes have taken place in the brain, maybe, or whatever that works. I mean, I'm not a neuroscientist, but, but as you go into the experience, as we go into the experience now, we seem to just sort of fall straight past that, that initial, um, initial um, you know, the, the, the starting experience and just go straight through the joint into the DMT space and, and vump, you're there almost instantly rather than pushing through these levels to get to that spot, if that makes sense. Probably. So it's, it, sounds, it sounds like you guys have uh, a, lot of this, uh, a lot of similar experiences. Is there anything that's uh, very different between the two when you guys... Um, I, mean, I suppose I, I always think that... <laughs> If two people have the, if two people have exactly the same experience, now obviously this experience is notoriously hard to explain, so to the point where words don't actually, there are no words to really. We do our best, and like McKenna says, it, it, it's a, it's a lie, I'm sure, as to what you're telling someone when you're telling them what's <laughs> happening in that experience. 
But if two people from different walks of life had the same experience, almost the identical experience, they could tell two very different stories about it, but there would be similar similarities in the stories that that sort of give you the general gist of what's gone on. Does that make sense? Or is that? Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, we've had very similar experiences and vastly different experiences, but the, the, um, the stages are always the, the, the set that the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the rhythm of the experience yeah, the is the same. Does that make sense? So that you go in, um, yeah, you're, you're into, you, you go through the initial um, vibration, yeah, popping, the, the vibration, reality, you're through. Yeah, that, now that you say yeah. that, the, the vibration things, I've had like four different people that we've interviewed talk about the vibration or the humming that comes yeah. on right after yeah. you hit it. Um, yeah. Now, it shatters and vibrates into. Do you guys think that it's like, you know, it's a proven thing that vibrations you know if you've seen these experiments with like sand on a board and they play music yeah. and it vibrates yeah. it and it goes into a pattern or um snowflake. The, yeah the snowflake the japanese scientists that use um positive and happy music and it created these beautiful geometric shapes and then you know metal music and it, it's these ugly disformed shapes you know so do you think that um there's something on a vibrational plane going on do you think oh. that uh, DMT is like a ticket to like a metaphysical realm or what's your guys theory on that for 100% there's sometimes when I've done it and I've like played with um, what, what I've played with what I'm doing in there so I, I'm kind of going in and at that initial point so just humming the vibration mm, you know the om vibration yeah that I mean you can do it in a meditative state and but under the experience of the DMT, the feeling through the body and what it actually, so what you're saying, like the sand on the speaker, how it changes that, the geometrics that you see, what it actually does to your visual experience is like really intense. And sometimes it's so intense that you can't actually keep it up. You have to stop because you just- And these, these are on lower doses. Yeah, these well, are lower doses. on a yeah. high dose. You're gone. That's it. There's no, no. I'm yeah, there's try, no vocal. I'm going to have a go at making an on sound and see what happens because that that concept is just not even there. Your body's not even there. You are essentially not human anymore and part of this. And the vibration, the thing of those high ones is literally you feel a vibration, you hear a noise, and and then you're gone. There's a, there's a breakdown of the ego or whatever, and there's a fear that hang on a minute, am I breathing? Have I died? And then there's an understanding. Okay. If I'm dead, I'm dead, that's it. And then by that time, you're then lost to who you were. Back then, you're having this experience. Um, and yeah, and then by the time you come around and remember, oh yeah, I've done DMT, you're already on your way out and you're like gutted that you haven't tried to remember exactly. Because there was a long time where we were like, let's go in and try and keep this information. Yeah, yeah. So in answer to your question, Mike, yeah, if for me, yes. Doing DMT, doing a lot, a high dose of DMT is, for me in my experience, is maybe the brain chemistry is rewired or rearranged so that then the filter system of the brain that allows you to carry on functioning in, in this physical reality somehow gets wiped, lifted, and the perception and reality change dramatically and maybe you're 
opening yourself up to infinitely higher levels of reality that we can't and wouldn't need to function in this physical reality, if that makes sense. So yes, for me, it does. It does. There is something else to it, definitely, 100%. Yeah, I, um, I interviewed this guy, Jack, from, he has a tri- uh, channel called Trip Whip. It's pretty cool, too, on uh, YouTube. It's an Australian guy. He's talking about his DMT experiences and what he thinks it means and stuff. But um, the thing he said, too, is we talked about pareidolia a lot. Um, and he said that when you're under there, it's almost like this veil's being lifted and you're seeing, you know, like, um, you know, if you, Terrence McKenna's stoned ape theory about how, um, you know, he thought, I mean, obviously I think he re- rebuffed that later in his career, but talks about how, um, you know, he thinks that mushrooms had a huge part in changing, um, or improving our visual acuity, um, as we were evolving rounding edges and different things like that but we have this thing when we look at somebody's face or we're looking at something in particular we're just putting patterns together um and you know in modern day you look up at a cloud and you can see you know a dog in the cloud that's just pareidolia there's no actual dog in the cloud but it looks like that so um our conversation was predicated around maybe dmt lifts this mask of pareidolia so we're not putting patterns together anymore and just yeah. whatever is the actual um, yeah. So the, yeah. space is what the space is kind of, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's almost, I mean, I don't, again, I don't profess to know what's going on. There's no, there's no way that anybody can know what's going on when you, when you have these experiences, but it definitely feels like, um, the richness of the experience, the knowledge, the, the the intent of the entities that you come into contact with, the whole thing feels magical in a, to a certain extent and, and way over and above anything that we are currently able to comprehend. So you sort of come back from the experience, and I read a great, um, a great comment on the DMT Spirit Molecule YouTube video. This guy had put this long, lengthy comment. And the crux of it was that this is not going to, this experience is not going to enlighten you. Um, it, it gives you, it, you end up with more questions than answers, but what it will do, it will install in you a, a knowing that there is infinitely more that we don't understand as humans. We, we sort of have this arrogance that we're at the top of the food chain, you know, and, and what we know so far is what we know. And then obviously, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, a scientific theory comes about that disproves something that was taken for granted at that time. So, um, yeah, it's, it's almost, it almost sort of takes away that arrogance. And then you think actually, yeah, we don't know jack shit is the reality (laughs) of the situation. Uh, But what it is, is, is anybody's guess, you know, that's the thing. Well, don't you think, though, like what you were saying takes away your arrogance? There's a certain part of us um, that, like, clings on to what we think of who we are, you know? So anytime you're about to go into a psychedelic trip, it's like, what the fuck did I just do? I mean, DMT is a little different because you're blasting off instantly if it's not ayahuasca. But if you're doing mushrooms, you eat the mushrooms, it takes, like, 45 minutes to really kick in or so you know and while you're sitting there thinking like what the fuck did i just do and then by the time it kicks in you're like you know it's fun you have a good time but um 
there's a certain part of us that's always clinging on to this piece of us that we think is what normal is or almost like a base you know base camp of our consciousness and once you start to go somewhere else from there it starts to get real fucking hairy real quick even to the point where recently i cut way cut back on smoking and vaping and i took a couple of vape hits the other night i'm like holy fuck i am this is enough for me, you know, like that kind of a thing. It's, it almost made me rethink weed, for, you know, for a minute. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I think to your point, uh, the whole ego thing is, is just, you know, it's, it's ingrained into us. And whenever you can snap out of it for a second, it's a little scary. Um, yeah, but very beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. So do you guys, um, what's your plan with your channel? Are you going to eventually make like a full documentary or are you just going to make a bunch of these episodes? Well, uh, Do you guys sure. have? <laughs> I think the documentary would be, yeah. um, that's always been a dream. Yeah. It would be a dream to be able to do that. And actually from the very start, once like when Dick Khan came on straight away and then yeah. Andrew Gallimore. You yeah. 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 So we've been speaking to a few guys. Dick Khan obviously was the first contact that I made. Um, and he obviously put me onto you guys. Um, RN Voot as well, we've been speaking to him extensively yeah. over the last few days on Instagram and he actually lives very close to us, believe it or not, talking synchronicities. Yeah, oh, no. awesome. We're in the same town, <laughs> <laughs> which is like incredible really. So, and he seems like a cool guy. Uh, so we, we're going to try and do something with him. Um, Andrew Gallimore, are you familiar with Andrew Gallimore? Uh, no, I'm, I'm not familiar okay. with him. You should definitely check him out. So his his website is Building Alien Worlds. So he is, uh, I don't want to do him disjustice with getting it wrong, but he's a neuroscientist, neurobiologist, and he has worked recently with Rick Strassman to come up with a, um, a way of doing a prolonged DMT experience via uh, intravenous keeping you in the break. Wow, yeah, because it's only like 15 minutes long. Yeah, right? yeah. they're so, talking like hours on the so Yeah, so Dr. Andrew Gallimore, Building Alien Worlds, he lives in Japan, uh, but his, check his YouTube videos out because he, he has actually come up with, you know, really credible scientific theories as to what may be happening when we go into these states. Right. And he is talking alternate realities and alternative dimensions and these mm -hmm. entities that exist in these spaces as far as his theories are concerned, could be real, and he shows you how that would work. And he's, 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 he's an insanely clever guy. Um, so we've been talking to him, whether or not we'll be able to get to do a video with him, because obviously he lives in Japan, but he's from the UK as well. So maybe one day. Has, um, he, done, has he done it like before? Like I know some of these scientists do it, some of them don't. I think Rick Strassman's done it from what I Yeah, I'm going to say there isn't anything that he... I don't um, think he's promoted the fact. That he's hasn't promoted it. the fact at all, but but you know, yeah. yeah. But you're in that, if you're in that place, then really, if you listen to the conversations that he has and the things he talks about, then you can read between the lines. But you don't really want to yeah. talk about because still, there's that um, that attitude towards it, and it could ruin. Right. But he is, you, don't you think we need that though? Don't you think we need like yeah. more scientists at least um, checking these things out? Because like I feel like. If you just gave somebody who, let's just say, you know, throw out, okay, like um, astrophysicist or physicist like Lawrence Krauss, he's a complete reductionist. He thinks yeah. that the material world is all there is. There's nothing else beyond it. Um, yeah. Reductionist to the core. Now, if yeah. you gave him a high dose of DMT, you know, like it makes me, it makes you wonder, do you think that some of these people would change their mind on their perception of, yeah. of reality? 
it would be awesome. And I've thought it'd be a nice experiment. Yeah, let's do this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, also, I think what comes with that is that the fact that these guys are seriously intelligent. I mean, like you know, seriously. Maybe they could give it. They they could come uh, to this experiment to this experience and give it some real. Uh, you know, exactly. Real credence. credibility, real yeah. credence, and like, okay, well, this is I'm 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 so clever. Um, I can <laughs> this reason for why this experience takes place, and obviously, if it does turn them into from a reductionist to uh, you know to, to the other side, I say, then you can have answers very. But quickly. it's it's a big risk to take on your career, isn't it? Yeah, to do exactly. that. So you know, I think it will be nice, but I think really the the perception around. Psychedelics needs to massively change before someone in that position may do it and actually speak about it. I mean, do it and then do research off the back end of it from what they may have got from that that experience might be something different. But actually, to come out and speak about it and was it who was the guy yeah, come up with uh, the sorry, DNA? Wasn't he? Didn't he yeah, Sir, Sir Francis Crick. We actually, I was just going back and forth with uh, this guy that we've had on our show, Bruce Fenton. He came up with an article um, saying that it's a urban legend. However, in the article at the end, it talks about this quote that he says where he's describing, he's like, some people see this and some people see that. And they're things that only if you experienced acid that you could right, yeah. know about. So it's like, there's some gray area there where I think, was he using it? Yes. Was he high on it? Well, the second that he came up with the uh, model for the double helix, I don't know. I can tell you this. I've actually seen similar structures like that, like that um, yeah. similar to the DNA structure um, while under meditative states and psychedelic states. Um, yeah. I've seen pyramid things. I've seen, yeah. you know, gray alien shapes, the things like that, that, you know, like archetype type things. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibilities. And um, they all over ancient architecture as well. So these guys have been doing these um, compounds for many, many years, haven't they? And we see it in ancient architecture, ancient architecture. And we know for a fact, like the, the stone date theory, these guys, you know, the cave paintings were probably done while under the influence of stuff. Right. Like well, even like uh, by you guys, not far from you, Roslyn Chapel in uh, Scotland isn't. I think one of the pillars is basically like a double helix in there, where they're talking yeah. about like how would these ancient masons have known that, you know? Yeah. And also, um, you know, some of the uh, some of the Muslim uh, temples oh, around God, the world. Yeah, just like, there's no way that doesn't relate to the DMT experience. I saw a picture one last week. I'm like, that looks like a psychedelic picture. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. incredible. And it's yeah, like, right. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah, they're definitely trying to de depict something in the, in the man as and the, and the, the some of it's yeah, just the some of the geometry and the colours as well. The kind of just and the way you know it's a dome. A lot of these the Muslim these ancient Muslim places that are domed, and it's just sort of you look at it, it gives you that sense of the perspective. Of, an, of, an, of a psychedelic experience just by standing and looking up at these things. It's like a psychedelic IMAX or something. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A primitive. Um, do you uh, have any experiences that are separate from the other ones, like something that was so profound or an entity communication or something that, you know, either one of you that is just like a game changer for you or is it all kind of consistent? Well, for me, I'll answer this first. Go on. So, for me, um, I do have a, a an 
community that I that, that it that comes to me more often than anything else. Sometimes the mood is completely different. I mean, and we're talking when you go into the deeper dose, the, the, the deeper experiences, it can be anything from um, alien planets, essentially, all sorts of crazy stuff like that. But but there's a there's an entity that I regularly come into contact with, which is a um, female presence, feminine, if I say female, feminine, um, and can be sort of anything from child, uh, all-powerful in its presence, but very childlike in its appearance, um, right through to sort of a, a, a lady, a fairy queen or something of that nature. But blue skin is the, is the, is the, uh, the overriding element that I, that I hold on to, blue skin. Um, and she's very nurtured. She's, it's almost like she's waiting for me when, when, when she's in the experience. She's waiting for me. She's very nurturing, very motherly, very um, sometimes quite scolding and, and like a mother can be, but very, um, yeah, very loving. It's, it's almost like a very paternal vibe to the experience that, that I'm, she's familiar with me. She knows me. She, she's waiting for me. And then sometimes pushes me on to a further experience or a deeper level of experience. And there are quite a few um, sort of profound moments within those experiences. But the one thing that I, re that I, that I came to sort of realise after the experience was that many, after years of having this experience with this blue-skinned blue lady, and was just in our watching videos, YouTube videos, and we came across a video of Graham Hancock, and he was talking about an ayahuasca experience that he had had when he had writer's block um, and, the, and Mother Ayahuasca said to him that he had to go on and write this novel and he ended up writing the novel Supernatural. Yeah. He described her as a blue-skinned lady and it was like, you know, whether or not, whether or not that is a sort of uh, an archetype that is familiar within that experience to a lot of people because I had never heard of it before. But Our buddy Paul talks about Pachimama. I think that's who you're talking about, how he refers to, too, uh, Pachimama. Who's yeah. like Mother uh, Earth or something along those lines. Yeah, and it's, yeah, I mean, there are, there are lots of profound synchronicities that go along with those experiences. And, and I definitely come out of it feeling like I've just met an old friend. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, mm. definitely. I mean, for me, um, because I do like to argue this stuff afterwards, but I suppose one of the most profound ones was in the early years when we were doing it. Um, there was a time that I said, um, I literally, <clears throat> I wanted to be in a dark room, I wanted no outside stimulation, and I didn't want to be, like, I didn't want to be, feel as though it was false because there was music there and there was light maybe that could be seen through my eyelids when my eyes were closed. And I literally did it it, um, like sat up, legs crossed, in a kind of med meditation position, and um, the onslaught came on very quickly. And then, humorously enough, and I think I discussed it in the last one that we posted, the entity that was literally—I mean, it was—it's not always massively visual, but it's definitely something like an understanding. So, and what I kind of got was. Um, Alanis Morissette from Dogma, the movie. Oh, yeah. 
as God. Yeah, she was the creator. And she was, like Paul said, she was slightly scalding. Um, she was very like childlike, like she is in that movie. And the and because I've been contemplating for a long time, because I'm trying to figure out the universe in my own tiny mind for some reason. And she we was... We all have. Yeah, exactly. And she just was like, right, have a look at this. And then in front of me, so I've gone through the geometrics, everything was dark. And then right in front of me, it was just like uh, the end sequence of Annihilation, the movie on Netflix at the moment. It, and, and it was in the, the emotional feeling behind it was, this is how time and space interacts together and la di da da And it, like, the information was far too much for me to try and understand. But as I was being given this stuff, she was saying to me, look, this is what you want to try and figure out. You're never going to figure it out. And this is who you are as a person. Well. And it was like, she's like slightly mocking in the thing that you're never going to get to this place. So actually what you should do, do is as a human being, you can, and it was kind of like a yin and yang thing. You could be whoever you want. You could be this person with massive defects. You can be this person who's really good. You can continue your life however that however you want because in the, the whole of uh, reality or the universe, it actually the magnitude, of the magnitude of everything. What you're talking about is really not that significant, um, and it's only significant to you. So you need to be comfortable with who you are, whoever that is. And um, yeah, I suppose like. At that point in my life, I was struggling with a few things, and it kind of came of, came out the back end of that, and was um, well, it was like th doing a, a counselling session, a, like two years worth of counselling in about five seconds. I came out of it. I let a lot of stuff go, a lot of resentment, a lot of things that I thought I had anger issues over. They all kind of drifted away, and I kind of started moving into a different perception about how I should. Um, generally be. I mean, I'm not saying my life got massively better from the back end of it, but certainly my understanding of who I was and, yeah, that, that kind of changed and gave me a lot more ease around it. Um, so from that, there was a profound and good experience. On the flip side of that, there was a time that I went in and kind of had the a clown, a really malicious clown who literally was like, what are you doing here? Mm. Are you coming back? You're doing it too much. Why are you back here again? You know, there was a lot worse language than that. And um, from the back end of that, I probably, you know, I moved away. We didn't, we didn't touch it for a good two years after that. No, no. And I think there was a massive fear about, like, we, we spoke about doing it. We met up a couple of times and there was definitely a blocker for me because... I'm like, I don't want to go back to this place and have this guy there again, this empty, saying to me, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> um, so, yeah, you, you know, it can go either way, really. I mean, and it was almost as though you've been really doing it too much. You don't, you're not going to get any more information, so don't come back here, just leave it for a bit. And that's kind of what I did. And then, obviously, the next time I went back, you know, and... But still, yeah. and even still, we're, we're sort of we're telling these tales like that's how it happened. Yeah, of course. But but, but it's it's it, you almost add an element of your own um, truth and yeah imagination. You, yeah, you add you add an element of your own imagination to these things. But but then who's to say that that is not um, 
part of the experience, you know, it's sort of like the after the after ripples or the, you know, um, of the experience. It's very, it's just so, it's so great to talk about these experiences, but it's the most difficult to talk thing to talk about at the same time. That's the problem with it. Um, and there's not one recording of us where we actually, no, it's where like, we're actually able to I think that, yeah. talk through that experience with each other, just us two, really natural us two talking. Yeah. And even in that, we're, we're like going over this stuff and it's like, yeah, just trying to put it into perspective and, and express exactly what it was, we, which you can't do because it's very difficult to explain, like looking, we were talking about this the other night, weren't we? Looking at a cube from every side and having a concept of understanding and looking yeah. at the cube from every side. Because when you look at it, we generally see a 3D in this reality. But generally in that space, even though you're not looking at the cube from every angle, you understand the cube yeah, from every it's, angle. It's, it's very difficult to, um, to add, to, to use the English language, which is based on our reality as it stands now, even when you start getting into quantum physics, etc. obviously then it, it goes a different way. But general day-to-day -day conversation, how do you describe something that is multi-dimensional, emotional on levels that you just can't comprehend? Um, visually, you've never, you know, you've never seen anything like it, couldn't possibly imagine anything like what you're seeing. So there, and you're sort of saying, so you've got questions, you're asking yourself questions like, you know, uh, the tussle of, is it my brain or, or is this something else? But you know that your brain you can't even imagine what you're seeing, what you're experiencing. So therefore, how could you possibly make that up? So it's, it, and I think the profundity, you're talking about having profound experiences, the profundity comes, in, as Justin said, in the days and weeks after the experience, because it's the subtle changes in your behavior due to the experience that you've had is, uh, is where, you're, where, the, where the lessons, <coughs> you're learning the lessons that you received, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, you're not going to get a bit of information about how a black hole is formed in the DMT experience. What you're going to get shown is something you can't possibly understand, but it takes you so far outside of your ego and your waking consciousness that the, the subtle effects and changes it has on your behavior are done at that subconscious level. And then you realize how much of a twat you've been. How you're much more you're, open to stuff. Yeah, you know, you? you're, you're empathetic to, you're, you're way more empathetic to what's going on in the world and the people around you because of the experience of almost being scared, witless and fearful of your own life. To You know, you think you're going to die and you think you have died and the guilt that comes with that and letting go of that. that this is very, very thera therapeutic on that level. And then you sort of, you're thankful that you're back and you're thankful that you're okay and then you move forward with a renewed, refigured view of life, if that makes sense. It's a lot to take in there, obviously. That's pretty intense, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah man. But, it, but that that is the deal. In, the, in what you're saying, <laughs> you're, you're glad to be back. There's a point when on the back end of everything where where there's the realisation that you've done DMT and then there's an understanding that, you, you know, I'm coming out of it and then you might open your eyes and you're like, hang on a minute, whoa, no, because every, you know, the whole place that you're in is still completely visually um, different, uh, different lights. It's an understatement. Yeah. It's like you've done, you know, 500 
kilos of mushrooms. And then, and then you're kind of, you, so there's definitely a separation of body and I want to say consciousness or spirit, but you know, but we're just using that as a description at the moment. There's definitely that separation from your body. There's definitely a separation when you're deep in that space and a, and a complete separation of who you were as a human. And then when you start to come back in for me, especially, there's, we discussed it the other day, the language thing is very strange for me. I'll come back to that. But then there's a feeling where I'm coming into my body and I start to feel my hands or my fingers and it feels really dark. It feels really, not dark, it feels really damp and clammy synthetic. and synthetic. Like you're coming back into your body is, is, is an alien is, feeling. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, now I'm back in the physical. Now I'm back in the physical reality and it really does, for me, it's very uncomfortable, which is strange because everything in that space even though you're not pinpointing that feeling, it's only when you feel the clamminess you remember back to when it was like real crystal, clear. I want to say cold, but it's not cold. It's like... Um, Crystalline. Yeah, it's just clean. Polished. Clean, so clean. And then you come into this body and it just feels very, very uncomfortable. So saying coming back in, there's like um, there's a, there's a feeling of... ah. Uh, I've done DMT and now I've come out of it and I was being shown all this stuff and now I'm starting to lose all this stuff. There's a clinging in your brain going, what, what, what was that stuff? What was that stuff again? And then you feel your body and you're like, oh no. And it, and it feels real. I, don't, I really don't like that re-entering the body type feeling. And then all of a sudden it, it gets more normal and then you're back to being not a menace. Like, hey, five, five minutes, five minutes, it's gone and you're, you're going to have dinner with Queen. And you're sat there like, yeah, God, yeah. I was like, oh my God, I feel so comfortable and relaxed now. And it's like, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. That, well, that's that, people that experience near-death experiences kind of similar thing, obviously yeah. like the light tunnel and all that. But then when they come back, when they're revived or whatever, they they wish that they were still dead. Most of them talk about how wherever they were is a more peaceful, more clear, kind of similar to what you're talking about. Where, um, oh yeah, there's no pain or anything. Of yeah. So I mean, and, and then you were talking about uh, Paul. You were talking about quantum physics and stuff. I mean, we we can only perceive like two percent of the universe. Yeah. And then on top of that. What is it like? Ninety-five percent of the universe is mostly made up of dark energy, and then there's dark matter mixed in there as well. We don't even know what that is. That could be that could be this other metaphysical realm. Yeah, which for all is we all about us the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've had that discussion where the vibration or the filters, because the brain, when they when when they MRI the brain on certain psychedelics, they expect it to explode with all this. You know, extra activity. extra activity going on, and generally it, it tends to just dampen down. down yeah. Yeah. Yet the visuals you're seeing are more visual than, than when my eyes are open right now. You know, the colours and the vividness of it and the clarity of that stuff, yet your brain is actually not functioning on the same way. So we've discussed the fact that maybe it's just a switch in your perception. So the compounds are attaching to your brain and allowing your visual cortex your stuff the cortex or the bits that allow your, your ears to give you sound and all of that stuff is slightly askew and in, in which case you might be just perceiving like the dark matter or the realities that are literally yeah. right here right now that as we are functioning as a human you're just not open to no. and that concept is just like 
Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons I keep going back in because I want to try and understand whether that's like the, the truth of it. And the lower doses we've done recently have been all about because when you're when you really go into that space when you've done a heavy dose, there is no concept of the body or any of that. No. And what we've, what I've been doing recently is like trying to keep my eyes open, trying to visualise stuff and see what I'm seeing and, and literally move it. You know when you do that, you get the traces when you do LSD back yeah. when I used to do it. Trying to see that stuff. Now, that stuff on a low dose of DMT is the most intense form of so a trace is literally I'll move my hand and my hand is still up there for a long, long time before it comes down there. And I think one of the first times I ever did it, um, when we were really inexperienced, the first time I ever took, it was the first time I ever took DMT, I, I remember sitting next to myself and looking at myself and understanding that I was looking at myself next to myself. Out of body still. Mm. So I was definitely out of body. It wasn't enough to break me through into a massive dose, but I definitely shifted out almost like an astral projection and was like looking at me going, oh, hello, a minute, that is very, very strange. But it didn't last long enough for me to get any real concept or move off into some other dimension in a, in a different form. I literally was just, I'm here and I'm here. What, what, what is all that about? <laughs> well, it's a definitely a weird thing too that most of plants and animals have this chemical. It's an endogenous chemical in our bodies. Um, we produce it in our lung and our liver speculation. We produce it in our brains. Um, I know some people have tried to correlate it with dreams. There's obviously no uh, real evidence for that yet. You probably have to, you probably have to tap into a live brain to get, um, any sort of, uh, results on that. I don't follow the dream. I mean, I don't, there's no, there's absolutely no similarity between the DMT experience and a dream. The only similarity is trying to, when you try and remember a dream, right? like trying to remember a DMT experience. But the experiences themselves are so vastly different because of the sort of alien, otherworldly nature. And this is, this is what Andrew Gallimore um, talks about, is that the brain, I'll have to try and get this right. So when you have a dream and you dream about uh, your house, but your house looks different to the house that you you've, you you live in, and you uh, different aspects of the dream come into play. Now, the brain has learned how to identify those things over the course of your life. So, the way houses, the way buildings are structured, the way the streets are, the way the ocean is, so on and so forth. So, when you dream, although it can be distorted, the brain will make up a distorted version of what you already know whereas the dmt experience is like nothing you've ever experienced before and so that's why part of his theory says that the potential is that it is something else because there is no correlation you go into this experience as a 30 year old 40 year old man and you're going to have an experience that bears no resemblance to anything you've ever learned seen the brain has you know um, grown accustomed to over the course of your life there's nothing to do you know what I'm saying? So right. that that's where, and, and I agree with him on that level. The DMT experience is completely different to dreaming. And but, I think but the quality of the 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 like I said, the the trying to remember a dream. That's that's where the similarities are. It's not the experience itself. I think the fact that the DMT is in 
like you said, it's part of most living things. It's in the human body. And it's and I think the term, the spirit molecule, really holds something for me. So yeah. with regards to a mescaline or, or another psychedelic, I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable, even though it's very powerful and can be harsh as well as beautiful at times, I'm much more comfortable using a DMT than I would be than doing... I certainly wouldn't want to do a four-hour trip on LSD or, or go into that space for that amount of time. So I think for me, there's there's some key points there. I'm not going to be I'm not going to be gone for a long time. Within half an hour, I could sit there and have a glass of wine with the mother-in-law um, and have a, a, a normal conversation. And whereas these other substances, they they tend to be slower in reaction and last longer and all uh, um, their intensity might reach a point but it's it, it just goes on too long and I, I think because getting back to it because it seems to be a natural thing in us and all living it feels things right to I just, it just feels right and the body handles it so well you know you you it's not toxic we produce it naturally like you say it's in nature plants and animals etc etc you go into the experience you come out of the experience, and within a couple of minutes, you are there is no come down, no hangover, no other than the experience you've just been through. Exactly. I was just going to ask you about a hangover, but you just well, yeah, no, no, there's no the that, feeling is quite comfortable, but that but that only lasts for five minutes. But yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then five, ten, ten minutes after the experience, you could go and run a five k run. You could do a five k run. Yeah, he yeah. was just talking about speaking with his mother in law. It's like uh, fifteen yeah. minutes ago, I was just in a different world. Yeah, now. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gone to the pub, sat in the pub. Twenty yeah. minutes later, and at a pint, we're like, you're sitting around people that are just in the pub having a pint, and you're like, ten minutes ago, we were traveling the echelons of hyperspace you know it's quite it's that in that respect there's, def there's definitely a mental twist but you can you, you, it, it doesn't necessarily bleed into to having a discussion in a, a normal situation you can hold that back however if someone broached the subject of something like that with you straight off the back end of one of them you'd probably be able to enlighten them to a few yeah. to a few things because you'd still have some of that stuff deep um right there at the forefront of your memory but um, and i think yeah that's one of the reasons that it's um it's quite uh, it's more it's it's more what they call comfortable it? for me businessman's lunch businessman's lunch yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. don't yeah. you think though it could be you know like you think about ancient occult type uh, rituals and different things you know all these mysteries from uh, back in the day it seems like just based on what we just talked about too, imagine experiencing this a long time ago, you know, yeah. like uh, either BC or a little after whatever, um, yeah. you would have that feeling that you just talked about. Like imagine you just had this profound experience where you were in a heaven, you know, a realm like what people consider heaven or different dimension or whatever. Um, and you're looking at all the people around you like these people have no fucking idea what, yeah. you know. Yeah, and you'd want to talk about it as well. You'd want to express that, wouldn't you? Because you, the profoundness, profoundness of that experience would lead you to believe that there was something spiritual because back in those days, that would probably be your only way of identifying that experience. And then... But it would shape the world, wouldn't it? That, that's the deal. If back I, back I, I, then, it, with that experience... It could be the basis of religion. It could be I the truly of I think from our perspective is, you know, it's... My, it, 
whether it was DMT or, you know, whether it was the mushrooms on the savannah growing out the the manure or whether it was just, you know, people. Mushrooms grow everywhere too. Mushrooms exactly. are all over the world. I read, yeah. I read something recently that they're growing more. They're growing on stuff that they didn't grow on before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fungus is always evolving. I think, uh, if you guys haven't checked out Paul Stamets, you should definitely check out his yeah, work. Um, yeah. He uh, he's awesome, but he talks about how one third of all the Earth is comprised of some sort of fungus or mycelium, um, which and, in itself is an amazing thing. Oh yeah, that mycelium will will just feed the whole forest yeah. from from the nutrients to parts of the forest and give it in an equal share right. as well. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's an whole ecosystem. And the fact that it's neither animal nor vegetable as well is the is where it just it, it's kind of yeah we're actually not that f I think we're pretty close to August evolutionary uh, evolution um, from the the evolutionary break off we're closer to fungus than we are plants I believe yeah. I'd have to look at that but I think yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's just so much more that's gone on in our history and and, and you know Mr Mr Voot put me on to something that I've got to get into about the psychedelic Freemasonry. He sent me a link a couple of days ago, yesterday, I think. I think, let's say, there's just so much, that's, so much more that's gone on in prehistory that we have got any idea about. And these substances coming to the forefront now, it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's just, it's just so fascinating, isn't it, at the mm. end of the day. And we've been doing it now for 12, 15 or 12 years. It's difficult to say. Um, but we we know we're no closer to an answer than when we first had the first experiences. Which is more questions, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But we're questions. definitely different people. We're definitely more. Yeah. Um, there's definitely changed our perceptions. Of, give, give us um, a better understanding of who we are and a respect for respect for. I mean, I've always been a, a bit of a nature man, anyway, but. You know my love for the planet and everything on it, and the natural uh, the, the natural ecosystems and environments that we need to look after, and what we're doing to the planet. And you just become so much more in tune with with that. You know, it's um, yeah, it's quite it's, it's it would it could change the world. It definitely could change the world. Mm. You guys talk about simulation theory, I think, a couple of times on your videos. Um, yeah. Do you believe we are in a simulation? I mean, you got uh, you know, like Tom Campbell, Nick yeah. Bostrom, Elon Musk, um, cool. who else? There's a lot of people that believe that we are, in fact, living in a simulation, and some of them are some of the smartest people that we have on this planet. Um, do you believe that, or is that something you've just been playing around with? Or I think, I think the reason that I talked about it in the video was because, for two reasons, really. One is that, that it's a good way to... <coughs> Um, for somebody who hasn't got any experiences with these compounds or this, these topics, it's a, it's a good way for someone to get a handle on the fact that reality is malleable. It's not what, it's not cut and dry like we think it is, like your brain tells you it is, and your ego tells you it is. With quantum physics and everything else that we know about, reality is slippery. There's no two ways about that. So I think firstly, it's, it's, it was a good way for, to, to put that point across. But secondly, something else I've been sort of playing with recently <clears throat> is that the possibility that, you know, if you, if, you, if you look at the film The Matrix, he takes the red pill and he <laughs> comes out of the, the Matrix and he's in, you know, the robot <coughs> world, so on and so forth. There is, 
it's a possibility and nothing's off the table here when you're talking about these experiences that if you 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 ingest dmt maybe you come out of the simulation for that if it is if we are in a simulation maybe maybe you're, you're able to come out of the simulation and and go back to base consciousness or something of that nature or a level of consciousness um and then you 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 come down from the dmt and you're back into the simulation if if to loosely use the word simulation, you know, it could just be some sort of variant on, on just the way the world works. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I've, seen, I've, I've heard people repeat, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia, that series. Um, there's the, I think it's called Psychedelic Toad is the name of the episode where they are excreting the glands of the Bufo alvaris yeah. and, um, Hamilton smokes it and he's a he's he you know he's just a chemist he's hardcore reductionist doesn't seem like he believes in stuff but then when he goes into this world he just keeps repeating love 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 yeah. you know and somebody like uh, to correlate that to like Tom Campbell uh, my big toe um, his theory of everything um, he talks about how the universe is just funneling like the entropy is just funneling um, towards love. So, I mean, I don't know, is that something you guys have felt in these experiences that that's a, a primary, uh, landing spot for all this or. Yeah. Well, I mean, love the conversation that, um, that we had on Joe Roop's show, uh, last week, the aspect he was talking about the love that you have for your kids, you know, that sort of love, not, not sexual love, but that the love that you feel for your child. And I sort of kind of reversed it. So this going back to this blue skinned uh, lady, this female feminine entity presence, whatever you want to call her, I feel the love from her like a paternal love. She loves me, if that makes sense. It's like I'm her, I'm a child of hers, one of many, whatever. However, like, a, like a God love, like if you were reading the Bible, like how God would love his creation kind of a thing yeah, yeah i mean yeah maybe taking that paternal love to a to a completely higher level but yes yes i mean that that's the sort of love or the only real love aspect of the experience that i can i am the sort of weak um um not inferior is the wrong word um, vulnerable i'm the vulnerable presence in this experience and she is the all-powerful all-knowing omnipresent um but she loves me, if that makes sense. So that's the that's the love aspect of it for me. So yeah, yeah, oh, there's a love, a love love element to it in that aspect. I think um, I must quickly go to the toilet. Is that okay. Yeah, Sorry, I was going to do the same thing in a minute. No worries. So yeah, I think um, the love element isn't something that's massively given across. I mean, it definitely um, you definitely feel like. There's a there's a there's a connection between you. I think it's off the back end of when you come out and you then have the ability to feel compassion in a different way um, and not be judgmental. I think that's that's um, that's more what I get in that respect. I don't immediately go into a place and just feel like there's love. And then getting back to your comment about um, a god, the love from a god. Um, I, I kind of would argue that if you look at the, f the, the, the first testament, or the yes, um, the old, old testament, the old sorry, the old testament, where you know you had a god that said you've got to take you've got to sacrifice your firstborn son 
because of something that you've done. You know, that kind of, that, that there's, so I argue that from a religious perspective now. Oh, I'm not really, I mean, I was raised Catholic, but I'm not religious, but um, I just meant from the sense that like how God, well, okay, so you're right. The Old Testament is kind of weird because um, it's almost like that God is like a, inferior god he's yeah. got like an inferiority complex where he's like you shall take no other god but me yeah, you worship, must worship me yes yeah, sacrifice your son blah, blah 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 that's why some people believe in gnosticism because gnosticism explains that that god isn't the one true god but this god yelled of an oath that created our world out of ignorance and is um not familiar with the one true spiritual realm which he was trying to replicate but um but yeah, I mean that makes sense. I mean, from I just meant from the period, like the way that God is talked about when He says He loves His children, or like just from that aspect. I don't necessarily mean from you know, it's not like we're reading the Bible here or something. Love and compassion, the same thing. Is if when you're not talking about like love for a, a partner or like you said, your children, and you know, love for humanity or or your friends, there's a there's a definite uh, compassion there. Which yeah, is, I mean, which is human, human, it's humanity, yeah. humans yeah. should do have this feeling. Yeah, I love my mates, I love my wife. I love yeah, of course. So there's a compassion there, and you, I, I definitely feel, um, yeah, that there's there's been compassion um, in those places. But then on the flip side, when you have a a meet a long crab crawl round the expanse of the your visual sight, which is all DNA, and then as it comes round one park and looks at you and goes, "What the fuck are you doing here?" Mm -hmm. and it scales off there was no love or connection or compassion from that right yes. it was just quite shocked what, what the fuck are you doing sometimes it can be very sometimes it can be very cold the experience can be very devoid of emotion and not emotion devoid of compassion for you so which could mean there's many different levels of where we're going as well right and, and, and also as well something i've sort of held on to for quite some time is that there's definitely a crossover point. So, so if you could split the experience up, and uh, this might be quite hard to grasp, if you, you could split the experience up sort of from the lightest dose possible to a complete breakthrough, there are levels of consciousness that you move through that you are definitely holding on to aspects of your subconscious, if that makes sense. Yeah. As you, the deeper you go into the experience, the more your own subconscious and your own um, predispositions fade away uh, until you become nothing that you were before you went into the experience. So, um, and Rick Strassman, he he did a podcast a little while ago. He was talking about like uh, likening to looking into a mirror, um, and sometimes you're seeing the reflection in the mirror. And sometimes you're able to pass through the mirror. So it's not a sort of cut and dry. You take the you you, you ingest the molecule you're in another dimension there are there are definitely multiple layers of you that you take in with you until you get to a point where they aren't you, you, you those have gone if that, does that make sense yeah yeah uh do you yeah. think though back to the the creator type thing though so hypothetically if we are in a simulation or um, we are, there is a creator God or whatever you want to say, some higher aspect or higher being. I mean, I know some people think we're all one and we're just split into fractals yeah. with one major mind or brain type thing. But do you think though, this, um, this creator God, I mean, from, from what 
I'm a creative person. I, I assume you guys are both creative too. You guys seem to be into filmmaking and, and yeah. doing this kind of stuff. Um, when you create something, you have a sense of like love and pride for that thing yes. because it came from, it's a part of you. Yeah. Um, so from that aspect, that's, you know, like, I guess the equivalent would be, I'm not a parent yet. I just got married, but if I were to have a kid, I would assume that that would be similar in that sense that you're creating this being, you have yeah. a hand, you have a hand in the creation of this being. So therefore, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a part of you basically. So I, I would correlate those two things together, whether we're in a simulation and some guy created a algorithm and we're in the algorithm, which I think yeah. is a little crazy to think about, but just yeah. hypothetically, um, or we are just this biological creation or whatever you want to say, somebody threw some DNA, you know, across the universe and, you know, directed panspermia or whatever you want to call it. Um, is, is that what you're saying when you say, you know, is it like a creative love, like this part of you kind of a thing? It's, it's definitely, yes, it, it is because like I said, there, there are, the experiences vary, but definitely there are, I've had more experiences than not with this blue skin density that, that yes, I would say that I am a creation of hers, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, definitely. It's definitely some aspect to that that rings true. And I think I'm, I'm, I agree with you as well, you know, creation, um, we are creative people. We, and you do have a love for the things that you create. Um, and maybe that just goes on and on and on. I mean, it, it definitely seems like they, it, you, or whatever this thing is that you, you come into contact with, it knows you. It, it's, it's almost like you're, you know, you've been away on a school trip and you're coming back and, and, they're, and they're like, they're glad to see you. How did you get on? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, yes, I would say yes. Create, there is a creator aspect to it, definitely. I know uh, Maurice here wanted to ask you a question about your gear because he's a filmmaker himself. Okay. Well, yeah, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say, uh, it looks like you guys got some good, uh, some good visuals. What kind of cameras you guys using? So I use, uh, I've, I've, we've been flying the Inspire Twos um, in the air uh, okay. doing my work. Um, I've now, for what we do, I've just bought the Mavic Two yeah. Pro with the nice. uh, camera, which is a cool little bit of kit because that can go in the backpack and go anywhere. Uh, and then on the ground, I shoot with a Ronin S um, and a Sony A7 III. So I chopped in on my oh, Canon, cool. Canon forever. Um, yeah. I got rid of the Canon gear because they just couldn't keep up, you know, videography-wise with Sony. Yeah. Um, so I've got the A7 III and I use the Sigma art lenses. Um, I've got the 85mm, 35 and 50 Nice. And you guys are using that uh, little uh, that gimbal? Yeah, the Ronin S. Yeah, yeah. it's great, man. Great bit Sweet. of kit. Yeah. I'm just yeah. to that from my perspective. That was like the one we did up on the Sisbury Ring was one of the hardest. Yeah. For me to fit because I, you know, I'm coming into the filming and I've, we've got to change it up a bit because obviously a lot of the stuff at the start was Paul holding it and then filming me and then Paul holding it and it mm. needed to change. What if, what if that initial bit was what we were walking along and I'm literally like having to do this with the gimbal to keep because Paul's going up. <laughs> We're, we're kind of doing this. Yeah, they're not easy to use. If you don't know how to yeah. use them, they're not easy oh, to use. You can, it can still look crap if you don't know how to oh, use yeah. to get bored. But yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting concept for me to come in and learn it from that and um, and try and pick up. And, and obviously, we've got to try and 
expand spread, where we're spread going, the, spread the load, make, well. the, make the videos longer, explore the topics a bit more, and you know, trying to figure out how we're going to do that is yeah, going to really push our boundaries of where we're going to or how we're going to have to film. We want to do one on the boat and go up the river, that's going to yeah, be quite yeah. cool. But it's difficult, it's quite a hard format to work with because you want to make it look like it's two guys, two mates having a conversation, right? But at the same time. To, to, to adopt that sort of YouTuber style with the B-roll, the, the, you know, the 120 frames a second B-roll stuff, splicing in with different music. I've adopted that style of video making from the big YouTubers that I follow, but that's quite difficult to do as a two-man conversational. It's easy for one guy to do a bit of blurb, cut to the B-roll. Right, right. Aerials, and then back to this, back to, that's easy to do. But when We've you're trying to, to have a conversation... Out and you're trying to make it conversational we've tried filming with you know holding the holding the ronin and just walking along and talking and you, i think from my creative filmmaking side that we lose the engagement of the audience because essentially when you're talking to the camera you're engaging the viewer but when you're talking amongst yourselves the viewer can with long sequences it can it can become a little bit disengaged so we've got to try and work out how we're going to do that yeah. otherwise it's just me talking cut to b-roll justin talking cut to b-roll so it's, it's we've got to work out how we're going to progress with it and make it a bit more engaging and not only that the bones of paul and of our relationship and the discussions we have have generally been just us chatting just yeah. us two chatting yeah. so i might i sent i don't know if you were able to watch but i sent we're, we're playing around with an animation thing we're yeah i watched them actually i liked it a lot i thought it was a it's a good idea i mean is that something are you guys animators or is there like a program that you can and there's something that, like, i mean i'm i'm pretty good at he's good, he's and great. art stuff he's so I've really got to go back and like get some animations. That stuff was all done on my iPhone with some very free iPhone app downloads. They were they were simple. Played about with it, and that, you know we might put it on, we might not. And the reason we want to try and do that is because there's back recordings of Paul and I, and those discussions are really what brought us round yeah. to where we are now. Those discussions we've been having for twenty years, whether we've used the substance or not, we've always discussed. The fringe stuff, yeah. the stuff on the outside, and our different kind of views, which yeah. we were able to talk about but not argue about. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh -huh. and, and not clash. So we were from a very from when we first met, we were able to discuss this stuff, and yeah, after some you know, of that's good listening, but, but yeah. is it is it good enough? Is it good? Is I it don't think it will overtake. It won't overtake the Jaguar Dream and what we're doing with the other side of it. But it'd be a nice addition. But actually adding that in maybe you know once a week, there's some old stuff that we can try and turn into it. And if it grows, then I'll pay for a proper program and I'll learn the art of animation and change it up a bit. If that's what, you know, if that's what people like, because but really the whole point of that is getting Paul and I in those situations when we just sit here and have a conversation, we've sent some, you know, some of them recordings to Joe Root and that was one on the light in the void and that was one of the reasons he like really bought into Paul and I and, and started speaking to us straight away, wasn't it? Because it's aside from the very bad language, the concepts and the way we try and discuss this stuff can be hilarious, but then it can be yeah, it's real as well. It and can and be it's, like there's, there's elements it can of be gold quite, as well. Yeah, there's elements of sort of you know some cool some, some cool little concepts in there that that you just wouldn't think that two builder lads 
and film that, you know, from from the UK would be having these sorts of conversations. So yeah, some deep stuff, and then you tie it into the way we speak, and then the bad language, and then the way we like shout at each other to, to get our points across. You know, it can be yeah, and I think from that point of view, that's what that is the gold of Paul and I. But putting that putting that into the the other stuff we're doing is going to prove to be a concept that probably Paul's going to have to figure out because he's the he's the film guy. And they take they take quite a while as well those films to put together. It's not you not just whack them to the you know the, the, the equipment that we use is quite heavy data heavy and it's like they're not easy to to just whip one whip, whip a video like that together in a couple of days. I mean I've got a right. So yeah. Anyway, getting back to the uh, to the topic at hand. Well, I was just, um, well, actually, if you guys make your documentary, you should definitely have people doing it, like show people doing it. Maybe even yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be prepared to do it. But whether, whether that, uh, where you would then put that documentary out or whether that would actually be financially viable. Because when you're talking about a documentary, we've both got our. Our everyday lives, and then we should do a documentary. I'd like, well, I'd like to do a documentary. We talked about, and also Netflix. Yeah, well, we not, we not, we would be good to do, to do a, a documentary that culminated with, with. I don't know whether or not it will happen because we, you know, whether or not it happen or not, but culminating with a trip to Peru to do a ayahuasca retreat, because then you've got the the, the eye candy of the, the environment that you're in. To, for, you know, to make an epic film, but sort of a group of lads because there's, there's not just us two in this. There's a, there's a few other guys as well that we do this regularly with. Do you know uh, anybody that's ever done ayahuasca and then smoked DMT while they're on ayahuasca? Yeah, no, Jesus, no, I mean, uh, <laughs> I just thought about that. I'm like, I've never seen know. anything. I'm glad yeah. I never have because that's a scary. Well, before I've spoken to people that have smoked DMT, a breakthrough dose of DMT on the peak of an LSD trip. Dennis, or, uh, Terence McKenna talks about it. Yeah, yeah, and I've actually spoken to people that have done it, and. Uh, and my initial thought on that would have been, Jesus Christ, what the hell is that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that must just yeah. be all over the place. But weirdly, they say that when the DMT wears off, the acid's gone. Yeah. The acid experience is, is so nullified by the DMT experience that, you know, you could just, it's a walk in the park. Whereas 10 minutes before you smoke the DMT, you were, could possibly be having a, a bit of a trying time. You do the DMT. Right. And then you come down for the DMT and the acid's just like, it's gone. You know, not gone, but it's just so easy to deal with after that experience. So well, I think mushrooms would probably go good with DMT because yeah. they're very simil similar very, molecules. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's all interesting stuff, man. It's very interesting. Mm. All right. Well, uh, let's wrap it up here. Is there anything else you guys uh, want to talk about before uh, we get out of here? Or I think we covered a lot of stuff. Yeah, we have. Yeah, it's been good. Well, there's loads more content coming from us. We've, we've obviously been speaking to Mr. Voot, Mr. Khan, uh, and a number of other guys. We're going to be hopefully doing videos with all those guys. We've got some really great concepts for the videos because we're not just going to keep to the psychedelics. We're going to go to, to the fringe topics as well, the simulation theories, and there's just the stuff that Justin and I generally chat about. So loads more content to come. Um, everybody keep watching and to subscribe to the channel and yeah, we'll just go cool, yeah. We'll, we'll add your, uh, your link in our info on this episode. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm going to leave a comment with my, uh, comedy channel. 
So you guys can check that out. But uh, definitely. Keep, definitely keep up keep up the good work, man. I enjoy the quality and like All you guys right, said, you got you got to do something different to separate yourself. So you know. Yeah. Keep yeah, yeah. The comedy channel, Bruce. What, what, what is that? Uh, it's just a little, me, uh, you know, it's just like some skit comedy, some, uh, fake commercials and stuff like that. It's a little, cool. and that's on YouTube, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'll, bad, I'll bad earth comedy. Yeah. I'll comment and I'll try and get you guys, uh, I'll spread the word of your channel and get you guys some, some Thank you, stuff. it was time from our end, Mike. Yeah, awesome. well, we talk. we appreciate you guys coming on. We'll get you back on here again sometime in the future. And uh, yeah, everybody check out Dreaming Jaguars on uh, YouTube. Awesome, thank you, boys. Thanks, guys. Right, Cheers, thanks, boys. Paul. Thanks, Justin. Have a good one.